With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you are, uh, Y Whales. So we have a very interesting uh, interorganization today. Number one, I have Jessica Billingsley um, with me, and and Jessica is uh, needs a massive introduction. So we're going to take some time, uh, and then we're also going to flip that around and, and really dive into kind of who I am as well. And this is the start of a new series, um, really based around the theory of Web three, the theory of what's possible, and and the thought of what. What world would we live in um, truly in the next five plus years uh, with, with Web3, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and everything above? So I'm going to go ahead and, and start off with grilling uh, Miss Jessica right here. And, and Jessica, so let's start off. Like, What was your first exposure to the blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies overall? Well, gosh, as someone who follows tech news, someone with a tech background, and I've been running technology companies since I was 22 years old, uh, serial entrepreneur for what that's worth. I think that's uh, that's what they call it. Uh, in my case, I, I tend to run those businesses for quite a long time. Uh, so the, the one that I'm currently running, I've been running for 12 years. And just staying abreast of, of tech news and what's going on, I, I mean, I first heard about Bitcoin uh, you know, 15 years ago, I think, when it was first emerging. And I, I did, I paid attention, read a bit to my chagrin, did not buy any Bitcoin at that time. <laughs> it was kind of like when you go on and you reserve your Twitter name or your Skype name and you wait to see if that technology emerges or what we do with it. I, uh, I, I have to say I did not um, do a lot with it until some few years ago, uh, one of my developers came to me and said, you know, my Bitcoin just hit $10 million. I'm out. <laughs> and, and that was when I said, well, maybe I should take another look at this cryptocurrency thing and see what's going on. And, and to be honest, I went, I went online, I opened up a Coinbase account, I bought a few different coins for a very low amount of money. I mean, I think I put $1,500 in total. But I logged into that uh, a couple of years ago, and it was worth twenty grand. <laughs> you know, personally, well, I wish I put a few more in back then. And, and and really, that so in some ways, I'm relatively new to the conversion. In that that couple of years ago was the mark where I I got very serious about understanding the technology, understanding what is the difference between blockchain and cryptocurrency, which is an application of blockchain and, and how that works and what the many different applications might be. That was a bit long winded, but no, no, but, but so now let's, you, you, you talked about your tech background and a serial entrepreneur since, since you were honestly right out of college, like talk us through kind of the journey that, that got you um, from there, because that that's an amazing one in and of itself. And I think that everyone needs to understand, you know, Jessica's kind of a big deal. <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll uh, try to have a little bit of self-deprecation here at some no, point no, to please, tone that is... down. Um, 
So I, I did um, a couple things. I, uh, I was able to go to college early uh, through an academic scholarship. And I, so I, I graduated college very early, had, which put me at just the right age to be at the very end of the dot-com boom and to get to experience that for, for really my first couple years of my career. So in terms of my age, I, I got very lucky that I had pushed through school so quickly because it enabled me to have that experience of the very end of the dot-com boom with a computer science degree. And I was one of three women in my computer science program at the University of Georgia at that time. Uh, and sadly, today, there's actually a lower percentage of women in tech than 25 years ago. Uh, so something that's a personal passion project and, of course, Web 3.0, I think, being the next frontier. Uh, so I got out of this, you know, this uh, computer science program, had my first job at the end of the dot-com boom, and then started my first business at 22. Uh, that was a, an IT services firm. We had a, a, a spectrum uh, of offerings, and I ran that business for about 10 years uh, prior to, uh, in, in 2009, one of my existing IT clients invited me to invest in one of the first licensed cannabis operators in Colorado for what was the, the first uh, licensed legal program uh, in, in, in the world, to my knowledge, at that time. Uh, I did invest. Uh, I did so because I have a family member with a demyelinating illness uh, that has um, very similar to MS and cannabis had already at that time proven to be efficacious for MS and I wanted to see study and tracking and traceability and accountability, uh, which brings me to the business that I still run today. Uh, after investing in this operation, they asked me to pick the software to use to run this operation. And I couldn't find anything that met A, the unique supply chain and tracking requirements of cannabis, or B, what was clearly a coming need for compliance. And so, we invented this concept of seed-to-sale tracking. Uh, I co-founded a company called MJ Freeway in early 2010, which uh, went on to publicly uh, list on the NASDAQ as the first cannabis technology company uh, to list on a major U.S. exchange. Uh, we're now uh, Akerna, and uh, we've bought about seven other companies uh, along the way under our umbrella still pursuing that mission of accountability, traceability, compliance for what you put in and on your body, uh, starting with cannabis. That's fabulous. And, and I mean, it truly a, an industry that wasn't exactly um, being accepted by our, our U.S. government at the time um, for a variety of reasons. What, what was that like trying to find alternative solutions that, you know, despite being legal in the states that you were working in, um, you know, you had quite a bit of roadblocks, I'm sure. To be honest with you, Jay, I think I was a bit naive in that, at least in the very early days, I thought, well, we're a technology company and we're not going to have the same challenges uh, that some of our uh, direct plant uh, touching clients face. Uh, but that absolutely proved um, to be to be very, very naive. We had our insurance shut down. We had our credit card processing shut down. We had our banking shut down. I, I was not able to raise VC capital in the early years, despite showing 
uh, my second year over first year was an 800% uh, growth in a SaaS, recurring SaaS business. You <laughs> talk about um, what, what's generally... In the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> right, an early darling, right? Um, and, and so actually the early years of the business were funded through uh, true bootstrapping and some uh, high net worth uh, bridge loans, 12% loans uh, that my co-founder and I signed for personally. <laughs> and, uh, and we were able to, with that, get the business profitable, pay back those loans. And actually, uh, we took in our, our first uh, VC funding in 2014 when three states legalized adult use. I think that was the point in time when someone was finally ready to take a bet uh, on what we were doing and on its future success. Awesome. So, but but part of the reason why they asked you to to identify a, a CRM and ERP EMS whatever whatever um, MJ uh, Freeway was is is you actually are you have a coding and, and kind of a, a really more in depth tech background than you've you've led on so far. Yeah, so I, I do have a said computer science degree uh, and have run tech companies now for the, the entirety of my career. Uh, just about, let's say, for my first job where I worked for someone out of school. And, and yes, uh, I have not written code probably since my early 20s, but certainly understanding uh, how all of those pieces fit together has enabled me to lead development and product teams and to really understand what is and what isn't possible uh, in terms of technology. And I guess in some ways that brings us to our conversation today. And what I see is, and I know you see as well, is a very exciting next wave of technology innovation and development that I think is going to be very different um, from the prior to dot-com eras, if you will. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. It is, um, you know, this is, this is really an exciting, you know, uh, new, new podcast that we're talking about because everyone likes to talk so clearly about, you know, the, the coins and the hype and, and, you know, what, what are the pumps going to be? Uh, but I, I rarely hear anyone talk about just the beauty of, of what's being orchestrated. Um, you know, Satoshi, whether it's a person, a, a place, a thing or, or, or a team, we, we, we may or may not ever know. Um, but but there's so much that we can discuss along the lines of what what was he trying to accomplish he she them trying to accomplish um, and, and what how has that kind of changed over the last ten years then we you know then we can kind of uh, continue to dive into just you know what's theoretically possible when there's no more central points of centralization when censorship uh, from from any level whether it's it's local government or or just you know individual um, kind of isn't possible anymore and you truly start talking about a free web um you know web web 3.0 is is clearly a, a new asset class uh that, that we will explore and we will talk and we i want to go through um numerous guests uh that can that can educate both you and i on what are what are the existing industries out there today and how does web 3 how does blockchain technology or cryptocurrencies what, what will those change um and i i am just thrilled uh that somehow i can convinced you to do this because as someone who has been in the industry dealt with challenges, I mean, clearly cannabis uh, and, and cryptocurrencies share uh, the 
complete hatred of, of uh, the U.S. federal government, um, and and you know completely unfounded for uh, lack of education. I think is is one of the biggest issues we have right now in the space. And um, you've done a fabulous job uh, through numerous articles that I've read, uh, really talking about that, and 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 that's why you're here today. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me. And I, I think this is a really nice segue, though, to to share with our listeners some of your background that maybe not everyone has heard. So so maybe if you can uh, start out with your, uh, you're an East Coast kid, right? Uh, no, so Originally? so I'm, I'm St. Louis born and bred. St. Uh, Louis born and bred. Okay, so you moved back home after school. I did. You, you so headed to the East Coast for school, right? I, I did, I did. So so my background is I'm, I'm fourth generation, uh, okay. family business, so we we were a multi-state uh, retail op- furniture retailer, and as most of uh, most of our listeners who have, are in family businesses know, there's no such thing as titles, there's no such thing as work hours, and the compensation is usually pretty poor. Um, so I started as, as as young as you know maybe seven eight years old, working in a warehouse, understanding really how businesses operated. Um, I. I uh, went off to, you know, was on the sales floor. And, and from the time I was, you know, 16 years old, uh, any store I went to, I became number one salesperson, regardless of how long I was there and, and just kind of was able to absorb all this from, from my grandfather, from my dad and, and having access to anywhere, uh, I wanted inside of the business was, was something that, you know, again, no one really had access to our thoughts. And this is in the, the, the mid nineties. So, Again, I was a little a little young for for Web One. I was clearly, uh, you know, I built my first computer uh, at, at a very early age. was was just enthralled with technology from from the time I can remember, um, all the way back to you know my Mac two G or Apple two GS and and whatnot. Um, I went away to uh, I was recruited to go play lacrosse and uh, be a marine biologist. And after a certain point in time, I realized that uh, I had no interest in being a marine biologist because uh, it was not what I thought you know Jacques Cousteau was supposed to be doing um, and collecting water samples out on the open ocean uh, for weeks at a time just suddenly didn't seem as, as interesting. So uh, I moved back home and uh, went to went back into the family business. Uh, for a brief period of time, I, my, my father and my grandfather, uh, allowed me to go open a store by myself. So learning about, uh, anything and everything needed to open, open a business, uh, at the age of 20. So I, I signed leases. I went through all the processes, procedures, uh, hiring, uh, staffing, technical, you know, having to get a phone line, all these, all these types of things. Um, and, and then I decided, you know, after my grandfather passed away, who was, who was a big influence in my life, uh, he started a business from nothing, uh, with nothing. And so I said, I, I need to do something for myself. So I did what every, uh, completely irresponsible 21 year old would do. And I, I opened nightclubs. Uh, and, and there was a really interesting point that, that I don't always, uh, share with people, but it was, the most raw part of business that I I've ever been involved in. Um, it is utter chaos every single day. Uh, you're doing your best to try to control very large crowds. My largest nightclub, uh, held, uh, about 1800 people on a Friday and about 3000 people on a Saturday, uh, not including concerts and everything else we did. And so what that does is it very quickly teach taught me how to time block, how to prioritize and how to honestly put deal with real fires. Um, you have, you have to analyze all situations very quickly. And I found that, uh, police officers or, or, uh, really, really big buff dudes were not great security guards. So I hired prison guards cause they were much better at controlling things. And so essentially what that 
quickly taught me was there is just because there's a certain protocol in place doesn't always mean it's the best. Um, I sold the sold those companies, went back to the family business, and when I went back, uh, you know, w- went off the sales floor and was immediately thrown into the office. And this is the time. This is in the early 2000s. And we had a company that was doing over $50 million that was running on fax machines. Uh, and there was a single computer with a, a shared di- AOL dial-up account. That was the extent of the technology in this company. We, um, despite, again, being a relatively large company with hundreds of employees, uh, my family just did not believe in IT. And so they left me to go figure all that out. So um, I took that company from fax machines and, and dial-up uh, internet uh, to e-commerce within a few years, having to do it all myself. So my earliest exposure um, you know, to, to Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies was I remember reading the Wired article when it just came out. And I was playing a, a game called EVE Online. And if for any super nerds out there, like World of Warcraft and is, you know, like, like nerd level. And then you get into like internet spaceships, um, and more insanity. And so through that game, which was again, all the super nerds of the internet, um, there was a conversation around, around Bitcoin and, you know, how could we use it to trade our ships and, and whatnot. Um, and one of the members goes, Oh, I, I've been mining that. And he's sold a bunch of us, uh, a, a block of, of a hundred Bitcoins for $20. Um, helped us all set up set up wallets and and kind of showed it to us and and to be clear back then it was so early I barely remember um, what the wallet was it, it was a it looked like a DOS based program um, but clearly had no idea about the implications and it was just more like hey it's cool we couldn't figure out how to send it efficiently um, and so when I when I threw that computer away um, maybe a, a year or so later the last thing on my mind was ever you know where are those coins that I couldn't figure out how to use and and have no value because I think they even had gone down in value somehow that early on. Um, and I'm okay with that because, you know, people are going, oh my God, is that worth this? I, back then and, and even shortly after, the best use case for these was, was you know, drugs and, and, you know, kind of Silk Road and whatnot. And so I just never had much interest in it. And, and Satoshi's on paper he didn't even say that this was the currency of the future. They just said this is a test protocol. So um, whenever people, you know, are like, oh, my God, aren't you upset? My, my initial response is usually go find your Tamagotchi. Your Tamagotchi is now worth ten million dollars. If you can find it, it's you know you can you can get ten million for it. And the, rea- the reality is, you know nobody ever saw, nobody could truly predict. And those that did, I absolutely congratulations, um, and, and thank you for holding. Most likely, they forgot their passwords until years later, and, and then realized what it was. Um, and and the biggest reality is, is had I seen it hit a hundred dollars per Bitcoin, I would have sold then anyway. So it didn't matter. And this is a better story. Um, you know, long story short, as I as I've grown and, and gone through, I've since uh, you know bought my family out of that company, uh, turned around, sold it to private equity, and, and started another number of businesses with my with my wife. And um, throughout that entire time, as I finally had time to really think for myself, uh, you know, in the 2015 2017 era, um, I started paying a little bit more attention to, to blockchain and cryptocurrencies uh, because of smart contracts. Um, the ability to send money back and forth and, and something that the U.S. government was saying was absolutely not allowed um, didn't give me a lot of hope. Uh, but suddenly, as someone who struggled, and, and when I say struggled, like any of you that have ever used an Oracle, 
like eight or an old AS400 database system know exactly how frustrating it can be to get data in and out of, uh, of those structures. And there's companies that, that the company that bought mine was still running an AS400. Um, I, we, we know, I know numerous companies, uh, banks, in fact, that are on archaic 1980s technology. And there was just never anything that was worthwhile for them to make that upgrade to. So, the, the, the thought of blockchain being transparent, the thought of, of cryptocurrencies being able to send uh, high-speed currency around the world with, with no restrictions, and then couple that with smart contracts, meaning that you know what, you're, what kind of contract you're in, entering into. The code is open, open and verifiable. Um, that's a dynamic change. And, and it started giving me, as I'm, again, as you can tell, a serial entrepreneur, uh, that, that, again, I didn't even get into all the, the VC work I've done over the years. It started to really become interesting, the fact that, that this would be the next version or some part of the next version of, of the web. Um, and Web3, I, I don't believe has been defined yet. I think that it's, it's still a thought. Um, it's still there. But the, through all the interviews I've done, through all the conversations I've had, I do believe that the best use of Web3 has yet to be invented. Um, you know, there's, we, I've got an Oculus behind me. The metaverse is clearly coming and, and, you know, really upset with Zuckerberg for stealing the word meta. So now we're going to have to come up with another name for it, but it's going to take a minute there. And, um, but, but I, I, I know at this point and I'm solidified that it's coming. Um, it's no longer an if it's, it's just a matter of when, um, and the, and the when is now, um, you know, already we're seeing this asset class grow and boom and, and, uh, we, we watched it go to a trillion. We watched it go to two trillion. We watched it go to three trillion and yeah, it proceeds and goes back and forth and it's more volatile than anything we've ever seen, um, because it's missing all the regulation. Um, I, I'm not a huge regulator. I think that things should be free and open. However, there's, there's a number of items that, that, that should be regulated, um, such as, such such as, you know, just, just some very basic um, pump and dump schemes, uh, as well as rug pulls, I think are going to are gonna hurt the industry for a minute, as well as just unverifiable sources. So that's, that's essentially how I got here today. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, interesting, I did not, um, I don't think fully understand your family uh, business journey and, and growing up in the family business and going and starting your own thing and going back to the family business. That's, uh, that's really interesting to hear. Uh, so I also grew up with parents who are entrepreneurs, actually. And uh, and so very, very much like you, I mean, I think my first real, real job, however we want to define that, uh, was running payroll for the company because they could trust their preteen to teenager to run payroll more than, uh, you know, necessarily um, anyone else, especially with financial safeguards that existed in, in, at that time and, and in place. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, I was fortunate that our family was probably very forward tech adopters. Uh, my mom built an early ARPANET installation in the family office uh, before uh, before what we know of as the internet today, which all runs on a different protocol, actually TCP IP, um, uh, which those words mean nothing other than we eventually been, got to a standardization. It's been at least a few decades since I've heard ARPANET. And, <laughs> and so I, I, if, just for the, again, you know, Mia, our, our uh, um, it probably has no idea what you just said. So for her own education, for others, what, what was ARPANET? So when 
this idea of the internet was being created. <laughs> and, 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 and you have to remember, and, and as we think about how this relates to Web 3.0, when what we know of as the internet today was in its infancy, the, the very first thing that existed was just a way for some computers to talk to each other without having to put that information on a physical media and go walk it over to another machine. And so this was the idea of can we build a connection on the computer and then how do we send that information through the cable, which at the time they were all cable of some kind connections, to another computer without having to get a physical device and go walk it over. And then how can we real-time access information on a joint server? And that grew to is there a way to connect beyond that, beyond that through some type of existing network, initially phone lines. You talked about the AOL modem. We all remember that sound <laughs> of the, the, those of us who are a certain age of the, the sound of the modem connecting. It was so exciting. You were going to get to play your computer game against not just the people in your house, but some other people somewhere. Uh, so the ARPANET was just a very early way of these computers talking to each other. And the protocol that eventually became standardized was one that uh, was created by a group of Stanford uh, grad students, professors, uh, Stanford faculty, and, and that became known as the uh, TCP IP protocol, which is actually today still what all Internet, broadband, Wi-Fi. colon slash slash is exactly what, what you know, was, was the precursor. And I, I heard that the gentleman who invented that was very upset about um, the, the colon being in there. <laughs> he regrets that. But, but the reason I wanted to push on the ARPANET story is because it's very symbolic of where we are today. You have, you, have, um, you know, if you think about then, computers were still a very new thing. Um, and the thought that they could talk to each other was was really kind of far out, and and there was no real use case for them other than you might need to move a file back and forth. But but the the idea behind what that could become was just a far fetched far fetched you know concept, and and the thought that you could just do it was really something done by hobbyists. Today, we have a very different landscape. Um, computers are everywhere. Cell phones are everywhere. It is, it is clearly a standardized piece of technology of which they're all connected or easily connectable to the internet at some point. But, but we have these blockchains. And we have, we have, you know, various level ones from, from Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, uh, you, you name it. And then you have side chains. And then we have now, uh, rollups and, and all these other, this weird ecosystem of people just saying, how do I solve this problem? How do I move? The, this data from from point A to point B, and then sometimes it needs to go through a smart contract or, or various routing platforms, and and there's no real consensus on the right way to to make this happen, and so everything that I've done, and I, I've been blessed to spend you know close to a year now interviewing some of the smartest people in the industry, you know, in, in a setting like this, and and everyone just says we we have no idea who the winner is. That it is so early in the race, and the technology is so young that it's not very different from from where we were. With you know, you can connect from this computer to this computer, um, and the chains just don't don't talk. There's no there is no Google of the blockchain. There is no you know unified uh, anything at this point. 
I feel like this is a, a bit of a history lesson, but maybe it's valuable. If we think about when the World Wide Web was invented, it came after the internet by, by quite a while, by a number of years. There was already the concept of the internet at Georgia Tech. I could register for my classes online in 1994. That's a long time ago to yep. be able to do that. We, we had chat rooms. We had the ability to talk to people and do things online. But the concept of the World Wide Web, www. was invented really shortly after that. And initially, the use case for that was not clear. The use case for that was thought that, oh, it's just a way for some companies to advertise and who's going to create all this content. And what I think was the biggest surprise that, that truly nobody foresaw and, and no writers at the time wrote about was that that content was created by the users. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's what's so fascinating. And this is the age of the super empowered individual, right? As, as Thomas Friedman would say, that, that, that we are coming off the heels of the World Wide Web and the Internet and looking at this new technology. And we have this different lens now of the fact that it can be the users that create the value. And how does that work? And how does that get applied to, to Web 3.0? Are the users creating value because most of the world is living somewhere where you may trust uh, digital tools more than your government to verify a smart contract? Potentially, what, you know, what are the other applications of that? You know, and, 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 you know, bringing up the word government <laughs> is a favorite topic of mine. Um, and, you know, for, for centuries, um, you know, millennia, I mean, is it, it, it's been, currency has been a centralized, very centralized, um, currency by, by, by default, you know, you have to have, uh, whether it was, you know, an estate minting their own gold or, or whatever it was, you had to have someone verify that currency, uh, be responsible for that currency. But it involves something that, that I generally don't like when I talk about money and that's trust. Um, tr trust to me is, is, is fabulous. If we're, we're talking about like, you know, playing a game or, um, I trust that someone's going to cook my food correctly. Um, when we're talking about money, we're talking about the reason that we go to work every day. We talk about the, the investments we make. Um, there, there needs to be a little bit more than trust. And, you know, right now I, I, across governments around the world and I'm not just picking on ours there. That's really what the basis of it is. Um, there's, there's debt, there's balance and there's people with, with degrees that, you know, can fill a can fill a phone book, um, promising us these things are okay. But at the end of the day, the the system of which that I am required to utilize those those funds is slow and clunky, and 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 really doesn't serve me as much good as it used to when I was younger. And so, looking at even just the very basics abilities of, of cryptocurrency, being able to send a, a store of value, um, you know, from from here to here, um, w without having to acknowledge the SWIFT system. And and I also want to be very clear as we have these conversations: pay your taxes. Taxes are are part of life. That's part of your thing. Disclose what you're doing. I, I don't encourage anyone at any time ever uh, to, to use cryptocurrencies, DeFi protocols, or anything to to in any way, shape, or form, um, you know, get get away from 
from those responsibilities, you you're living in the system you are in. Uh, you're using those benefits. Uh, if the, if you choose to go outside of their financial system, I I, I have no issue with that at all. Um, and in fact, I think it should be encouraged. Uh, but because even at today's standards in schools around the country and around the globe, there's really a very basic, if not poor, education on on what is currency and and how is that even calculated. Isn't that the truth <laughs> in terms of what is currency, how is it calculated, and, and who, do you, who do you trust to administer it? And, and in some ways, our, our existing currency system and, and, and talking about government, I mean, there are some very good things government does. But if we think about where, where did that trust come from originally and how did that evolve? I mean, it came from the feudal system where all of the serfs, trusted the Lord to tax us and to provide basically okay living conditions and to protect us if the invaders came to, to, to try to kill us or take their lands. And that has grown and grown into something of the, the government that we have today. And there's a tremendous value in, in us as humans being able to pool resources and to provide back uh, resources into infrastructure, education, etc. And that works rather well in a fairly small section of the world, realistically. There's a much, much larger portion of the world and portion of our population that something is to be desired in those services, in that access. And when you're then depending on that body to provide the, the trust for a currency that you're going to use, herein somewhat lies the, the rise and, and what we're seeing today in the U.S. with the rise of, of the tech giants in many ways being more powerful than the government. And, and we're seeing that play out. We're seeing that play out uh, with, with policy right now, I believe, and fiscal policy in, in addition to some other things. And... What we're seeing and what I think we're seeing when we look at the broader world, and I, I talked about this in one of my articles, is the, 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 the truth is more than two-thirds of the world has an average age of 35 or less. And those folks, that average age and where they live with a much lower portion of the world living in a place of high trust with the government, they're much more likely to trust a very large peer-reviewed digital system, which is really what Web 3.0 is. It's that concept of peer review in addition to blockchain, right? You know, and, and, and I think that it's worth pointing out at this this point right now, this isn't the first, you know, cryptocurrencies and blockchain is not the first attempt at creating an alternate form of currency. There's There's been many attempts overall, and, and including just recently by uh, our, our favorite company we brought up earlier, which is Facebook Meta or whatever they're going to call themselves. They, they made a, a, a very valid attempt to create their own internal currency, um, of which I, I believe the U.S. government uh, pressured them very quickly to shut it down. Is it was you know outside of the realms for them to be the gatekeeper because that was a closed system, that was a, a, a centralized currency created and monitored and administered administrated uh, by a private company, and um, you know clearly they they have not given up on that entirely, um, but but the, the good thing is that there's already enough momentum 
and current cryptocurrencies. I mean, there's thousands of them today. Um, some good, some bad, and some just some funny memes that I, I, for the life of me, I, I, if you want to own those, that that's great. Um, and and I've I've made plenty of money uh, playing around with those. But but it's it's the first time that we've ever seen the the hybrid of technology with the open source ledger allowing us to to clearly say and point to I trust this. And if you don't, that's entirely fine. You don't. Have, no one is being forced at any point in time so far to use cryptocurrencies. It's a very optional source. But to date, over $3 trillion um, have been invested at certain points into, into that system, uh, prob- probably more, uh, depending on how you, you actually calculate it. And, and that leads us to, to really where we're heading next, which is, what does the world look like five years from now, 10 years from now? Um, the technology won't ever go away. It's, it, it can't be governed. It can't be stopped. It can't be legislated away. You can tax the you-know-what out of it, and that's fine. We see, we see certain states like New York being left behind. We see the, con- the entire continent of the United States being left behind right now because of some really archaic laws and a misunderstanding uh, of what blockchain is and, and what it isn't. And, and maybe a little bit of that is driven by fear. If you have full control over a financial system and you're able to just magically generate trillions of dollars uh, at your own, you know, behest, uh, it, it becomes a very scary thing when suddenly they're like, "No, no, we know how many are here. We all agreed when we bought into the system that this was the number of coins that we're going to be. We agreed on an inflationary or deflationary currency of, of X percent, and you know, it, it becomes." really the, the currency of the people. And, you know, it, it sounds very, you know, freedom, you know, very, you know, very much like a rally cry. But isn't that what it was always supposed to be? Sure. And I think, I think maybe it's important to just to, to level set some, some foundational pieces, right? So at most people, I think probably who are listening are have some idea of the concept of the blockchain, that this is a chain of information and it can't be changed and another item is added to it and that can't be changed and another item is added. And, and I think maybe what's missed sometimes, especially in, in articles that I've read, is the, the peer-reviewed piece of that. So yes, it's a chain of information and without the added factor of some number of peers reviewing and saying, yes, we agree this is the correct chain that has been added, and yes, this chain meets all the rules to be added, without that peer review, it's just an access database. (laughs) It's just a table in Excel. It's not anything special that most people who are listening haven't used or haven't heard of. It's that peer review piece that makes it, that, that adds that trust factor. And then what is the level of peer review that is happening? And, and then your level of trust and what, what is happening with the, with the piece of technology or with the smart contract or with the currency. No, and, and it brings up a really good point because we're coming back to the word trust. Um, but, but it's trust and verify. You know, if, if you go to the extent that you say, I want you, I want to verify, um, the, the Federal Reserve. I want to audit the Federal Reserve and everything that's there. That's not an option. You're not allowed as an American citizen or, or even any public or private company to, to be able to do so. But on the blockchain, you can choose to do so. And, and that is, is the crux of why so many um, businesses that have been excluded from, from the current uh, monetary system, like marijuana, um, and like so many other 
you know, perfectly legitimate businesses um, and, and people are choosing to use it because they can verify. They can send it uh, very cheaply. They can utilize it as, as needed. Um, and it really says a lot, uh, again, about where it's going because we are so early. When we're, when we're comparing, and I love this comparison of, uh, you know, current state of Web3 to almost really a, a fraction above ARPANET's, you know, for, for Web1, they exist, you can do it, but you're, you're really being required to stay on chain. And if you decide you want to leave your, your computer system, you want to go to another one, you know, you're now going through wormholes, you're going through uh, a variety of sources to get there because they don't, the information doesn't flow like TCP IP. Um, but it will, and we know it will. Uh, the, the thought that there's going to be one chain and one chain that rules tomorrow, uh, I, I just don't believe is, is ever going to be relevant because there's too many use cases. There's too many um, amazing ideas that are being implemented on a daily basis. And that's really where, where, where we lead into our conversation on what are those use cases, what are those ideas, what are the businesses that can fundamentally receive more value by implementing some of these solutions than the solutions cost. I mean, at the end of the day, any good business, A, markets their product better than anyone else, and B, innovates and, and solves, solves their clients or their constituents' problems better than anyone else. And to do that cost-effectively, that's that's how you have a business. That's how you have uh, what we call in Web 3.0 a project. So when we think about the future and the future of Web 3.0, it's interesting because you come from some very uh, entrenched legacy industries and have implemented the tech for those. And I would say in some ways, I'm, I'm a little bit your opposite in that every industry in which I've been involved has very much been pushing the envelope has been an emerging technology, an emerging industry, uh, solving new things potentially. And, and so I think those are two very interesting and different perspectives uh, to bring to the table. What are the industries that you think are more likely to adopt new technology sooner? You know, I, I think that there's going to be, number one, it's going to touch everybody. It, it's it's whether you realize you're you're using blockchain or not, it'll become uh, very indifferent. And I think the next phase that we're going to see is you're going to continue to see Web three grow up. You're going to continue to see Web two grow up, um, and we're going to start seeing a little bit of a merge and a, and a hash in between. Um, where essentially right now, I, I feel very strongly that Web two point five is is what's on the horizon. You know, pure Web three companies, a hundred percent on chain. It's still a little early and and inexpensive to do so. So Web two is is you know again while it has its faults and and it ha and more centralized than it ever should be, it's fast, it's cheap, and it's deployable you know extremely quick. Uh, Web three and, and most chains are there's a lack of coders, there's a lack of education around what it is and isn't, um, as well as really the the use case. I, I think MetaMask serves a purpose, but it's not going to ever be something that my parents would ever use. Um, and, and so there's a number of problems that, that are going to have to be solved, um, before we ever get to that point. And, and to me, I, I will say that cryptocurrencies have arrived when it shows up on a bank statement. And I, and, and, and there's a bunch of people out there going, whoa, 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 I don't ever want to use a bank again. And that's great. That's fabulous. Cryptocurrencies will have arrived when they, when your banks simply allows it to be shown on your, your statements, uh, as, as with any other investment, as with any other currency, um, right there on par. And I don't know when that is. I don't know what that's going to take. Um, but I think that says a lot when, you know, 
judges, lawyers, uh, and, and really the financial institution overall starts to recognize that they've held on to the SWIFT system a little too long. They've held on to these these old databases and centralized exchanges a little too long. And and it's an evolution. It's not going to be, I, I don't believe, a, a, a dropping of the hammer into the gears and everything exploding and this is where it is. Um, I mean, think of the, think of, I remember my parents when I said, Hey, here's a, would you like a smartphone? They go, no, no, my flip phone is perfectly fine. Um, and not today. You can never take that away from them. Uh, they have their iPhones and they're, they're thrilled with them. And, and the biggest challenge I have is getting rid of the ones with the button and going to the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the buttonless iPhones. Um, but that's okay. I mean, because again, people are going to move at their own pace and, and what we deal with in Y whales and what, what the, the challenges that you deal with in, in your companies, um, we're more bleeding edge. You know, we're trying to understand the technology as it's needed because there's a gap that has to be filled and without trailblazing, uh, we're really left to who, who would solve these problems. And I, I, I really talk a lot about I, the centralization of Web2 and, and the fact that very few people have control over vast amounts of data, vast amounts of uh, access to that data, as, as well as you know if the data is allowed to stay or be hosted on, the, on these platforms. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that excites me about the blockchain, is if you're not interested in something, that's entirely fine. You can absolutely filter it out, but that doesn't mean you can suppress it. Fair point. And, you know, as, uh, as CEO and chairman of Akarna, a publicly traded company, uh, we have relationships with most of the major investment banks. And fun fact, today I got an email from Goldman Sachs about a big webinar they're holding to talk about stable coins. So it may be coming sooner than you think um, in terms of bank adoption. I, I think there's some real attention being paid now to cryptocurrency uh, in general from uh, from the banking institutions and looking at this as a large value creation area in which they don't want to miss out and uh, and and so we'll we'll have to keep an eye on that as it as it uh, progresses and, and maybe one other thing that that uh, really made me think about was when I look at how you market technology, how you market, in, in particular, uh, software technology, there's a pretty generally understood uh, way of going about that that is related to who are your early adopters, who are your mid-market who, who's the, the mid-market consumer base? And, and so and it breaks, we break it up into 25, 50%, 25% as being somewhat the tech laggards to your, to your parents not moving off of their flip phone. Uh, although I don't know about you, my, my mom really likes those emojis. <laughs> my dad hasn't quite figured that out yet, but my mom is all about those emojis. Um, so as we think about that, so we're going to see some early adopters then for crypto and, and you think it takes the banks to make it mainstream. What, who are our early adopters? What are the earliest industries where we might see, uh, see this actually? And, and I'll tell you, I've, people ask me all the time because cannabis is an emerging industry. Hey, are we going to see cannabis adopt this first? And I believe cannabis will adopt some blockchain applications. Uh, in particular, there's some, some really interesting things and, and my company's um, you know, working on some things in the, in the blockchain uh, arena. 
cryptocurrency and payment with cryptocurrency and that that might be a little bit farther out uh, if you have to consider if you're a cannabis company and you're tr you've got your own regulatory battle to fight <laughs> you don't want to be associated with another uh a, a, another word that is also having regulatory challenges if you will you know, I, 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 to that point, I think that we've already seen the early adopters in mainstream, and I think that you know Coinbase and, and all the cryptocurrency and the ability for people to express themselves through currency is something that we've never really seen before. The fact that people can choose, can choose that that they want one dog meme coin over another uh, to 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 say this is who I am and I, I agree with my money, my my U.S. currency or whatever currency that they have in their bank account is less valuable. Then this dog meme that somebody created over here it most likely is a joke or maybe they were serious i don't know and, and to me that's that that says a lot and you can send it i think most people aren't sending them and using them as currency they they buy them on an exchange they they wait for it to go up or down and then they either you know <laughs> make money or lose money on it but but they're trying to express themselves and figure out this new this new phase what's what's next and and i i believe is is coming for the industries is uh, the NFT smart contract wave. And, and with that comes reliability, repeatability, and, and I'm not talking about arts. I think that everyone, they hear NFT and they think art and they, they're very confused because they don't understand. NFTs have the ability to be essentially the front end or the forward facing visual effect of, of a very complex system of uh, essentially a mini computer program that can exist out on the blockchain forever. And right now, it, people still are trying to understand what that means. Um, what does it mean to put out a smart contract? It will once, in most cases, when you put it out there, it exists forever and the, those, ter those deal terms can never be changed. So if you're saying that you want to enter into a DeFi protocol, um, you, you know exactly what the terms are. You can set your, set your metrics and once those are set, they're there until either it's canceled um, or, or you know, it, it expires uh, or it may never expire. Your money may be locked up. And so it becomes... Really, I, I think that we're going to start to see a number of technologies wanting to embrace this, wanting to see what it works, what it works for, and that's really what the series is going to bounce us into. Is is in each industry, whether it's from logistics to uh, oil production to airlines to tickets to you know what, whatever it is, you know, we want to bring on the experts in those industries and really talk about the challenges that they have technology technology wise. Um, in the logistics industry, it, it's time is money, um, and fraction fraction of a sense can can mean the difference of making or losing profits. Uh, and across the board, I think we're, we really want to understand where things are going in the long term. I, there's a lot of talk about what's happening today um, and what's going to happen a week from now. And so we really want to focus on what does it look like when you go really far out? What does it look like when every legal decision um, is, is backed up by a smart contract, meaning the judge has now certified your smart contract is this is the way this payment structure is going to go. Or your company and, and the metrics of which your payroll are, are going through a smart contract, what does that look like? And, and you know, today there's, we don't know. Um, it could come for, to fruition, but the reality is Web3 is, is here. And it's going to do nothing but continue to grow and mature. Uh, and anyone that wants to ignore it, they're always welcome to. They're always welcome. Because the one thing that I, uh, my favorite saying is, Bitcoin doesn't care. 
Bitcoin doesn't care if you believe in it. It doesn't care if you like it. It doesn't care if you, you are angry at it. It will continue to exist until the very last server on Earth is, is finally sh- shut down or, or no longer useful. Well, here's one real-world example of the smart contract that I think would matter to almost any business that engages in a referral or partnership-type agreement. So we have this on a very regular basis where we have we have over 80 integrated partners to our, our core uh, current network and technology, and we are often asked by our clients to refer uh, our, our preferred tech providers for other pieces of their functionality that maybe we don't uh, offer natively. And of all of these integration referral partners of the 80, we have maybe a dozen where we have some type of financial referral arrangement. And sometimes I wonder why we bother with that because <laughs> collecting on those referral fees, actually getting paid for those referrals is is a much bigger lift than making the referral. And even though that's where the business came from, that business has to then track it, choose to pay you out. And they may not even be doing it maliciously. Somebody took the sale. They forgot to record you as the referral partner. The the simple application of there's one smart contract in place, you're attached to it every time they get paid the referring company would be sent their referral fee. I mean, that's just one extremely small uh, use case, but an example of something that I would implement yesterday if it existed in a very easy, uh, very meaningful way, you know, easy way to to implement that our partners would also uh, accept and adopt. Uh, And to that point, you mentioned uh, another new word that I don't think we've defined yet, uh, which are are NFTs and and talked about uh, the potential, uh, what we see today in terms of art and brands that are issuing all of these NFTs and digital representations of their brand. And uh, at least personally, I'm going to go ahead and make a future prediction here. I think that, that today NFTs are kind of something these marketing departments are doing and Maybe they're not linked up with their delivery departments, <laughs> but I think what we're going to see in the in the nearer future is a link between the digital NFT that are that's being issued by these companies and an actual physical product. So take Nike, right? Nike, you can go get some gorgeous gold Air Jordans and an NFT today to show off in your mobile phone wallet. But you don't have those sitting on your shelf to wear around town and. Shouldn't you really get both if you're, if you're going to get that? So um, just just a thought process there and a, a link that I think we're going to see more, uh, more and more things linking, uh, linking that marketing piece and that digital representation to the physical world as well. And, and it and it takes away again a little bit of that 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 trust. It it goes to a verifiable. You know, you know, um, when you go into a store, you're trusting that store has has you know that brand. You're trusting uh, that online retailer has has you know this is a verifiable source. Um, on chain, you can verify that. You can see the contract. You can see who who issued it and and verify if that really is Nike, Adidas, or some random brand that they just made up. And so I, I completely agree with you. And that's really again what we want to focus on with the series. And and this is not going to be a rapid fire. Uh, there's not going to be multiple recordings of this per week. This is going to be a, a monthly series because we need to take the time to really prep and engage and understand each industry and each expert that we bring in. To, to think about what is it not 
over the next 18 to 24 months, but looking at the next five to 10 years out, you know, what, what is the theory behind Web3? What, what is the technologies that we believe is going to be most prevalent? And, and again, we're talking about cryptocurrencies, blockchain technologies, smart contracts, the metaverse, whatever that is or will be accustomed to, uh, augmented reality, and, and, and so many more. And so, Jessica, I'm thrilled to have you on this journey because it's it's a long form, you know, documentary of of how we got here and where do we think we're going. And so the the, the really great thing about this is we'll get to look back in years and say all the things that we were wrong on. Um, and if we're lucky, we may get right on one or two things. And I think that that is really very courageous. Um, of us to do in a time when people don't like to put their name uh, on theories or thoughts. And, you know, we're going to get things wrong and we're going to get things right. But what are basically using the best resources that we have on hand, I would like to educate the leaders of today so that they can prepare themselves for the, the future of tomorrow. I think you put that so well, Jay. And when you're talking about the, the long game, neither of us, are, are ever going to be able to tell you which dog meme coin is going to be the next hit, uh, but 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 hopefully, if we if we do our jobs well and 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 all uh, courage uh, certainly uh, uh, included, we hope to have a, a, a hit rate like that of a VC that you know one or two uh, of our long term predictions. Uh, really comes to bear and one or two out of 10. Uh, if we have that kind of success rate and this grows at the rate that you and I both think Web 3.0 can grow and will evolve, the, the value creation of that and the investment opportunities that we may uncover uh, should pay um, more, more than pay the investment in time. So I'll make my first prediction, and uh, and that is Bitcoin will be, definitely be around in the next five to ten years, um, and I think that's a, that's the easiest one that I can throw out. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I, I'm going to make a prediction, and because I alluded to it earlier, that we will see NFTs linked more to the physical world in, in the next few years. I, I completely agree, and and it's uh, there. There is so much coming that I'm I'm just excited to be able to explore this. Uh, I'm excited to be able to have uh, the access we do to the the one, top one percent uh, around the globe uh, industry leaders that can educate us uh, as well as we can educate them on on the directions they should be looking to the thoughts they should have around Web three uh, and Web three strategies. So with that, uh, I want to thank uh, our audience for for uh, this first. Session. I want to thank Jessica uh, extremely uh, for the, the courage to come on and, and start doing this. Um, and I very, very much look forward to uh, the continuing of the series. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. 
Why Whales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.